Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And I got to tell you, we have got an incredible show for you uh, tonight. Uh, I want to start off by saying that um, 2010 was a incredible year, spectacular, uh, amazing. There's so many words that I can use for it. Um, and the reason I say that is that on the Dr. Pat show, the entire team, um, we got together and we decided that 2010 was going to be a year of thriving. And our theme for 2010 was thriving again in 2010. And we made a commitment, all of us here at the Dr. Pat show, to, to take a look at how we can bring powerful messages to all of our listeners on multiple stations that we're on. You know, whether you are listening to us tonight through bbsradio.com or those of you that listen to us through affiliate stations out of Pittsburgh and the surrounding area there or our flagship station on the East Coast, which is out of Rhode Island, Connecticut, and New York, or our original station uh, for the Dr. Pat Show, out of Seattle. It, it doesn't matter how you found us or, or what times you listen. Many of you listen to the archives because you dial our 1-800 number, and it goes over to my cell phone and actually rings at 3 in the morning. So I know you're listening at different parts of the world at different times. What we are so committed to for 2011 is continuing to bring you the best in the best. In 2010, not very long ago, we created calltoconnection.com. And what that is, is it is a website that's all about paying it forward and giving. And if you go there and sign up, you're going to be able to um, receive close to $30,000 worth of gifts that our pay-it-forward angels have provided. And it's within that spirit that we're continuing to this year, 2011. And so as a team, we really pondered what our theme for this year would be. And finally came up to, uh, come, came up with something that the entire team and, and most of you listening really loved. And that is a slice of heaven in 2011. Now many of you have emailed and said, why just a slice? I want the whole pie. And we're certainly saying, have the whole pie. <laughs> because that is the energy and the theme and the sense of freedom that we want to bring to each of you from becoming completely empowered and to help you broaden the perspective of your life that encompasses body, mind, and spirit. Tonight's show is, again, one of the first shows we're doing this year. And it's an incredible show. You know, you all are going to get to be on air with me with someone that knows quite a bit about creating that body-mind-spirit connection. Alan Locos is joining us here today, the author of Pocket Peace, Effective Practices for Enlightened Living. And you're going to get to take a journey with us tonight, as he has um, done with so many people founder and guiding teacher of the Community Meditation Center in New York City. And you're going to hear about his 30-year career. He's also been a professional singer on Broadway. I grew up in New York, so I understand exactly what it means to hear a professional singer on Broadway. But more importantly, what the spiritual nature of living on the East Coast and in New York City is about that many people actually don't know about. 
So tonight, Alan and I get to talk about his book, Pocket, pra- uh, Pocket Peace, and talk about some of these effective practices. What is enlightenment? And, you know, why is it that so many of us are talking about a rise in consciousness, especially at a time where people are thinking, am I ever going to get out of whatever these conditions are that I call my life? So fasten your seatbelts because we have got lots to talk about. I'm thrilled to have Alan join us here tonight. And I want to, Alan, I want to welcome you to the show. It's great to have you on board. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, may I just say that as I was listening to you, I was thinking that it might be wise to just have a slice of heaven in 2011 because then it would be something into which we can delve in 2012. I love that. Can Whereas I, if we I use it all up that? in 11, <laughs> you know, what do we do in the future? That's right. Well, we did settle on a slice of heaven in 2011. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. And, you know, every year since I've been doing the show, I've been doing it since 2003, every year there's been something that we do to give back to our listening community. We have the best listeners on the planet. And and, and this is really, you know, what I want to be, where I want to begin with you and, and ask you about. To talk about thriving and to talk about a slice of heaven to some people seems so counter to the lives they're living right now. And I wanted to have you share um, a bit of your journey and and how peace sometimes can find us, even at the most difficult times in our lives. Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned that um, I had a book published in mm-hmm. 2010, which is called Pocket Peace. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is an exploration of a teaching of the Buddha called the Parami, or Paramitas, of which there are ten, ten of these perfection practices. The very first one is the practice of generosity. Mm. And some of the commentators who uh, review and teach us about uh, the Buddhist teachings suggest that this list goes in an order of progressing difficulty, which would mean that the practice of generosity is considered first, kind of the groundwork. And it turns out that uh, back in the time of the Buddha, some 2,500 years ago, before he would teach anyone about meditation, people would come to him and asking uh, and ask him to teach about meditation, he would first teach them about generosity. So the commentators say that this was probably because before one could even sit down with oneself in this quiet, introspective practice called meditation, one would need to come to that with an open heart, a heart open uh, to the needs of others. In other words, the practice of generosity. So uh, this seems to be the groundwork, and I think this relates very much to uh, the work that you were speaking about, this idea of paying it forward. Um, When we get out of the me, mine concept, this, this focus on me, the world seems to open up. When it is all about me, the world is constricted, and we might not even be aware of that sense of constriction other than being aware of something, um, let's say, just not quite feeling right, that Mm -hmm. uh, in the midst of um, a joyful celebration, we can feel lonely. Uh, lying on a beautiful beach in Bermuda, we can feel sad, uh, which is part of the human experience. But the the opening up, that part of us that looks outward, that takes in the needs of others, the um, what in, in the Buddhist terminology is called dukkha, the the suffering. Although I don't really like that word so much. But the um, 
the despair, the discomfort of others. That's what really is this opening up, this sense of generosity that um, is our shared experience. So back in 2008, I believe it was the end of 2008, about the time when we were all beginning to feel in one way or another the the pressure of this global economic crisis, whether it be um, that directly we might have lost a job or we were looking at our diminishing 401ks or just aware of the tension that was in the air. I happened to begin a teaching of, uh, a series of teachings actually, at that time at the Community Meditation Center, um, which is this teaching that I mentioned, the Parami or Paramitas, and the first one is generosity. So now visualize that I'm standing in front of this uh, group of people, many of whom are friends, and They've all come to work on meditation practice, and I'm going to speak about uh, generosity. Now, no one has ever really spoken about generosity and suggested that we should be less generous, at least not in my experience. Right, I agree. (laughs) So I begin to speak about generosity, and I'm looking out at this room of faces that are looking at me as if I have been on another planet that I'm not aware of what's going on fiscally in the world. And I realize that that people are assuming that I am going to do the usual, everybody should give more, everybody should be more generous. And that really wasn't what was on my mind at all. What I wanted to speak about was not so much about giving more, because it seemed to me that that was just not a time when when many of us could do that. But I wanted to speak about being more involved in what we did give. Now, when we have a situation in the world such as what is going on in Haiti, for most of us there isn't much that we can do beyond writing a check. Right. And so we do that. Uh, to the fullest extent that we can. But there is a gap between our hand and the recipient of that check. In this case, there's quite a a geographical distance uh, gap. So to close that gap, to have the experience of the relationship between giver and receiver, because I... I happen to just believe in my own work, in my own practice, that that there isn't a gap between giver and receiver. I think the giver and receiver are really one. And at different times we're the giver and at different times we're the receiver. Now, I live in a city here in New York where mm-hmm. we have many people on the streets, homeless people, uh, people with their hands out, people with a, a paper cup, uh, hoping that you're going to put something in it. So um, I tried to make that point, that I wasn't speaking about giving more, but I wanted to create some sort of a practice in which we could be more involved in what we were giving. So it just came to me at that moment, and I created this practice, which was, Every time you left the house, carry with you at least five $1 bills. Although, if that was not possible, five quarters would be fine. Or if things were going really well, make it five $10 bills. But the amount should be the same because we want to take out all quality of judgment in this Mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. And this is just a one-week practice not something that needs to be ongoing, but a one-week experience. And the practice was simply that every time someone approached you looking for help, give them a dollar. No questions, no evaluating. 
when the mind begins to think, oh, I'm just going to be um, supporting his drinking or her use of drugs, leave it out. It might be true, but we don't know that that's true. And for this one week, we're just going to practice complete, indiscriminate generosity. The other part of the practice is to stop and spend a moment with that person, a short conversation that you begin perhaps just by saying, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And then stop and listen to what that person says. It is astonishing and incredibly sad how many people go through life without someone who truly listens to them. And so that is a great gift, Mm. to be someone who just for a moment cares. Well, apparently people really listened and they went out and did this because when we got together the following week, I was barely in the door when people were waiting for me and they were reporting back their experience using words like transformative, life-altering, unbelievable. And some of their stories were, uh, well, one woman said that for years she would leave her apartment building. You know, here in the city we live in these tall buildings piled up one on top of one another. Mm-hmm. Um So she would leave her building and every day would walk across the street out of her way to avoid that big, hulking, homeless person down on the other corner. So she decided this morning she wasn't going to do that. She was going to try this practice. And she went up to him, gave him a dollar, got into a conversation. And then she told me as tears were welling up in her eyes, She said, now every day I can't wait to get out and have a chat with Tommy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and and the other stories were like that as well. Uh, One woman said, I'm not a wealthy person, but now I feel rich because I realize I have enough to give away. And it didn't matter how much she was giving away but she could give from what she had. Anyway, that um, led to another little practice and another little practice, and so we developed this term that was called pocket practices because these are small enough to fit in your pocket. Right. And, of course, people then were saying, oh, this should go into a book form so that other people could read it. And... Lo and behold, that actually came to pass. So for me, 2010 was um, a remarkable year. Well, and this is what I love about your book, and Alan, I want to just say that, is because um, when I read it, first of all, I was really struck by um, the practice of generosity. And many of my listeners know this, and I've also on calltoconnection.com, our pay-it-forward website, I share um, a six-minute story um, about being homeless at 17, and I know what that feeling is like. And if it weren't for someone that apparently knew about the practice of generosity, I don't know where my life would be. And, and you know, and I don't think that you ever forget those moments, although I will tell you that it took me many years later to really appreciate the power of that. And and so as you take us through this journey in 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 this this little book as you refer to called Pocket Peace, I have found that there are so many nuggets in here for people to activate in their lives that it does really remove the veil of helplessness that so many folks seem to be talking about as they describe their lives. And I wanted to ask you about that. Because, you know, you mentioned the word suffering, and there are tons of people that you could talk to right now that would say, my life, I'm suffering. Everything around me is coming apart. You know, I'm being stripped of 
of, you know, both physical and now emotional loss and grief. And so there's a pocket piece uh, that you mentioned in this that says knowing that all is as it has to be. I I want you to talk about that for a minute because uh, the way that you – the way that you talk about this, I think, is very freeing for people. Yes. Now, you know, that's um, that's a tricky phrase when we say yes, all is. is as it has to be. So, so mm-hmm. let me just do a little background on that. Okay. That does not mean that everything is predestined. It doesn't mean when we say everything is as it has to be, it doesn't mean that everything is as we would like it to be. It doesn't mean that everything is fair or everything is just or everything is kind. It means, and this is um, from a teaching that, that is called dependent origination or uh, dependent co-arising, or sometimes it's simply just called contingencies. It means that every moment in time comes about from all of the moments that have preceded them. Mm -hmm. Every phenomenon that exists arises from the causes and conditions that have preceded them, and I actually often add to that, preceded them and accompany them. So, the you know, just to give you a kind of simplistic way to to grasp that, Wherever you are right now, you, Pat, and you who are listening, wherever you are, you didn't just fall out of the sky into that chair or behind the wheel of your driving or wherever you are. There were many, many, many moments that preceded that, all that uh, we just take for granted. Let's say if you're in your car right now, Well, if you back up, you actually stepped into your car. To do that, perhaps you took keys from your pocket and unlocked the car. To do that, you had put the keys into your pocket. All these things sound so meaningless and mundane. Right, right. But they're not. Right, they're not. They Mm -hmm. are the unfolding of life's experience. Mm-hmm. And every moment is the condition that leads to this moment, which, of course, has already just passed in the time it takes for me to say that. This unfolding, constant, ever-changing series of phenomena. Mm-hmm. So when we say that everything is as it has to be, it means that because of the causes and conditions that have led to this moment, this is the only moment that could actually be. Again, it's not. Uh, I, I, I don't view that as a religious uh, kind of approach at all. I don't think it's philosophical. I don't think it's spiritual. I, you know, in a sense, it's more scientific than anything else. Exactly. It's just an ongoing logic. uh I'm sorry, go ahead. Isn't, uh, Alan, isn't it also, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, you know, I was listening to you just describe this process, and I think that you you refer to getting your keys out, opening your car door, stepping back into it. And and everyone is going to have a different experience with that, and let me just tell you what I mean. Uh, You know, for somebody that, let's just say, has is in a situation where they have chronic pain, Taking those keys out, putting it into the door, opening it up, and then attempting to get in the car is a very different experience. But all in all, it is that experience of that moment. It's not the moment before, and it's not the moment after. And isn't there something freeing of being able to to know that all is is as it has to be, not from a religious point of view, but from a place of peace? Yes, um, because what we see by that is that I haven't done something wrong. Right. I'm not being punished for something. This isn't personal. Um, So, yeah, I would completely agree with you. I think what's really significant here 
is, um, and in relation to what you said about um, there is so much suffering in the world, mm-hmm. there are people listening to us right now who are experiencing great suffering. Mm-hmm. What we see by this is to change the events that are happening in our life in this moment. What we need to do is change the conditions, to change the causes and conditions that lead to the next moment. This is a little bit of the surface of what is called karma, which is extremely complex. But if we just were to look at its surface, this idea of cause and effect, that every action, every thought, every word, every deed has consequences. When we use the word consequences, we often think of uh, things that are just negative. Right. But that's not true at all. Consequences right. are positive, they're neutral, they're joyful, they're wonderful, they can be painful, they can be sad, but it is this ongoing series of causes and conditions. So let's just say as an example that, um, oh, suppose I say I'm not in uh, a loving, intimate, um, significant relationship right now. And not only that, but in my past, my intimate relationships um, have very short lifespans. And I would like to be in a, an ongoing, loving, trusting, caring relationship, one that, that would really matter. So if I say that doesn't happen for me, now... I can say, well, I just have bad luck, or I can say, well, all men are jerks, which may have a certain truth about it. I don't want to comment about that. But, (laughs) um, uh, you know, the reality is there's a common denominator. The common denominator is me. I'm the one who has not been in a meaningful relationship. So... When I look at that, and and it doesn't mean that I look at it in a judgmental or self-critical way, I look at it in terms of causes and conditions. There is a condition in my life right now which is sad for me, and and sadness is a a form of suffering. Mm -hmm. To change that, I need to change the causes and conditions. I need to change not this moment but what leads to this moment or of course what leads to the next and the next moment um, and that can be that can be work that's uneasy it can be uncomfortable because I really need to take a look inside mm. um, if I continue to believe that my suffering, my discomfort, is caused by that which is happening outside of me, by the boss, by by the weather, by the traffic. If I believe that what goes on outside and around me is the cause of my suffering, I will continue to suffer. Mm. If I begin to look within and say, how do I experience, how do I perceive, how do I take in what is happening around me, then I can make meaningful changes. And, you know, Alan, one of the things also that um, I, I think that you talk about in the book and, and also um, that you're, I, I believe you're alluding to here. It is one of the practices that has to do with determination, which I'd love to talk with you about when we come back from break. You know, I grew up with a, um, a, a mom, a stepmom, that was married at the age of 12, had her first child at 12, and then her second child at 13. And there was, there was something that, that she instilled in, in all of us, really, but something that I really picked up on 
and didn't really appreciate till later. And that was the power of perseverance. And I really had not understood it quite exactly uh, well enough to be able to talk about it until I, I, I read a bit about how you talk about determination and how it can provide or become a catalyst or energy for change. And I would love to talk to you about this when we come back. Because some, yeah, somebody have, said to me, you have an inspiring past. Oh, I'm telling you. Uh, yep. And I wouldn't change not one bit of it at all. I understand exactly what you mean. Oh, boy, not one bit of it. And so when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Alan, but I want to give you a couple of websites. I want to give you a website so you all can find out how to get a copy of the book, um, Pocket Peace, Effective Practices for Enlightened Living. But more more importantly, I want to make sure that you all can go to the website, pocketpeace.com, and that's peace, P-E-A-C-E, pocketpeace.com. Check it out. Um, you're going to be able to see the Community Meditation Center here, a lot more about Alan, the work he's doing, and what's on the calendar, and get yourself a copy of the book. When we come back, we're going to be talking about this idea of determination. Can determination help us move beyond our fear? Can it help us heal ourselves, heal relationships in our lives? And, you know, what is it that enables some people to have the ability to persevere and others very easily go to the words, I can't? Let's take a short break when we come back. More with my very special guest today, Alan Lucas. And Pocket Peace is the book. The website is pocketpeace.com. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Are you tired of hanging on to things in your life that hold you back? Get ready to reclaim your fearless nature with Annette Bingham. Annette has been a catalyst for helping people achieve maximum results. Known for her breakthrough approaches, she will assist you to unleash your true power. Her unique distance healing techniques have been empowering people globally. Get ready for a life-changing event to step into your fearless nature. For more information, visit AnnetteBingham.com or call 432-770-4062. Do you ever get so frazzled you find it difficult to function? Many people are experiencing more stress and fear than ever. When we react from this place of fear and stress, we end up damaging relationships and creating more grief in our lives. Lynette McKenzie has a solution for you. The Energy Emergency Toolkit. Ten easy tools to go from frazzled to fantastic in five minutes. Visit OpenLiveNow.com and download your free Energy Emergency Toolkit and go from frazzled to fantastic now. After a 15-year search for a truly delicious, healthy, easy-to-prepare organic meal, Savitri and Adil Pakivala founded Eastern Essence. They set out to do what their friends and business acquaintances thought impossible, to produce delicious, healthy, vital food grown in harmony with nature and to promote organic farming in India. Happy food, happy people, happy planet. For more information, go to easternessence.com. That's easternessence.com. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at MaryJaneMack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit MaryJaneMack.com. Do you know how to achieve wellness in all areas of your life? Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. Signs of wellness are a capacity to love and ability to nurture, a sense of purpose, a good sense of humor and plenty of fun in your life, a concern for others and a respect for the environment, a conscious commitment to personal excellence, a sense of balance and integrated lifestyle, and capacity to cope with whatever life presents. Well, people enjoy their lives and want them to last as long as possible. That's why the wellness mindset usually accompanies other constructive healthy lifestyle habits. By adopting a wellness mindset and behaviors like eating well, taking the right nutrition for the body, exercising, and saying affirmations are just a few things to structure a healthy system of values and beliefs. With CRA, I will be your wellness coach to help you achieve a wellness lifestyle. Call us at 888-777-4232. That's 888-777-4232. And visit us at maryjanemack.com. Here we 
go, everybody. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. Hey, if you want to find out more about us, if you want to listen to the any one of the thousands of archives we've got going on, just go to the drpatshow.com. Also, if you want to be part of calltoconnection.com, if you want to just get right over there to calltoconnection.com, sign up. You get to receive those gifts. And then you can watch a video that I've created called The Time to Believe. Um, this is a time to believe, at least it is for me. And um, Alan and I were talking during the break. I mean, we have some really interesting, interesting journeys that, you know, we've experienced together. Our lives, you know, have been somewhat interesting, as people will say. I can talk about losing a job because I know what it's like to lose a job. Um, we can talk about some of the troubles that we've had along the way, not because we have sat down and studied them, but because, you know, we're like you all. We experience hurts and wounds and injustices and we get angry and, you know, we have relationships that don't work out. And, you know, we end up with five bucks in our bank account some days. But this is, you know, for me, getting to speak with Alan and getting to read his book, and I want to make sure you all know what it is, Pocket Peace, there are some real nuggets in here that have reminded me of how truly powerful, or may I say empowered, each and every one of us can become regardless of what happens in life. And, Alan, I want to thank you for joining us here today. I'm I'm so eager for you to share this idea of determination, what you learned from it, and, and and why this is important, and perhaps some people say more now than ever. Yes. In, um, the, there is a, in this book a chapter uh, about determination, and as I mentioned earlier, it is suggested that these ten uh, perfection practices become increasingly more challenging So it's not surprising that determination appears quite late in the list. Uh, It's not that easy to develop that sense of determination that is not the kind in which we're gritting our teeth and and tightening our fists with this kind of, I can do this, even if we don't have the belief inside. Mm -hmm. It's the belief inside that is actually quite gentle and soft that knows I can do that, I can do this, I can do what is necessary. We're much more mentally and emotionally strong than we realize. When I uh, do book readings with Pocket Peace, there's a part of the book that I always read, and it has to do with... um, my growing up and an early experience with my father. My mother died when I was very young. I was about 16, and my father was mentally ill. He was hospitalized numerous times, and um, I often watched the police cart him off to the nearest mental hospital. He was also quite violent, um, what were called spankings were were pretty physically difficult for my brother and me. And, um, you know, I think I was, I think I just grew up terrified without even knowing it. Um, I realized at a certain point that there was actually an incident that happened. Um, My father died in a forensic ward. Uh, mm. He ended up being there because one day uh, I drove out to his house just to pay a visit, and he was, I saw him next door in the uh, garden, the small garden of the neighbor's house. He had a young w- woman pinned on the ground, and he had an axe over her head. Oh, wow. And I jumped out of the car and was able to grab him in time and pull him off. He was arrested, and then 10 days later, he died in this forensic ward. I visited him only once when he was in that ward, and I really later on regretted that I, that I didn't have the wisdom at the time to be with him and hold his hand as he was dying. 
Um, I don't remember being angry. I know that I just I had no interest in being there. A, a few years later, a close friend's father died, and I went to visit him, and my friend was very upset at the death of his father because he was really going to miss him. And I realized in that moment that when my father died, I really wasn't upset. I mm. wasn't affected by it, or, or so I thought. And it seemed to me that that was a big loss, and I was going to really try to explore that. So there began uh, you know, some serious time in psychotherapy, and that's when I first uh, brought the practice of meditation into my life. And it was just difficult. It was really difficult to to come to grips with who my father was, what our relationship was and was not, and it was a struggle. Uh, it's not as if there was some magical transformation that suddenly happened, although I will say that there was a sense of relief that I noticed right away that I had entered into this struggle. And there were days when determination to carry on through this period was absolutely essential. Um, because, as I said, and I know that I'm repeating myself, but yeah. it was tough. Yeah, I know. I understand and, completely. Yeah, And gradually... The process that unfolded, um, and it took a few years, was one of forgiveness and then gratitude. Because as you and I, Pat, were speaking about in the break, we wouldn't trade places with anyone. I would not want my past to have been different. Yes. Because my gratitude today for what I, for what I have just couldn't be the same if I didn't have that past. So I went from forgiveness to gratitude, and I knew there was still something missing. What was missing as I continued this determined work was I had not figured out yet how to love this man. Mm. This man whose final words to me were, you're no damn good. You yeah. never were, and mm -hmm. you never will be. Mm. But I realized he was off of his medication, and the big realization for me was he was doing the best that he could. He was not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect father, although my daughter and I have a wonderful relationship. The big thing was he was doing the best that he could. He suffered a lot in his life. And that opened the door to my being able to remember things that he did that were wonderful. I grew up back in Brooklyn, New York, when we still had the Dodgers. Yeah. For you guys out there. Okay. All right. Them. I grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they stole the Giants, too, right? Yeah, exactly. So my father... I remember this as a little boy took my brother and me by the hand, and we went to Ebbets Field. Mm. He had no interest whatsoever in being there, but he took us. And I remembered that. So there had to be something there. And it began to open up within me, and I actually found my way to be able to love this man. Now, He's long gone where he is. I don't really know, but I know where I am, and I know what that felt like to to forgive, to be grateful, and to love this parent. And it was enormous. But the determination to do that, the courage to give up the anger was this was major work well when i read this part of the book every single time and there have been many many book readings since the book came out back in february i get 
so many people coming up to me afterwards saying, we must have had the same father. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Or, mm -hmm. how did you know that that's exactly what, what, what I went through? And all these years trying to figure out how to forgive. And by the way, it's really important to remember, to forgive is not necessarily to forget. No, or to, or, right, exactly, or be in agreement, is it, Alan? Right. I mean, we're not saying we're in agreement Absolutely. with what someone does. To forget is not necessarily wise. To forgive is wise. Mm. So they're not at all the same. But this is, um, this is really the kind of work that takes determination. And it's the same thing going through any kind of loss, the loss of a job. Right. We lose a job. We wonder why. I was there longer than this person they kept. Why did this happen to me? Um, I must be this terrible person. I must be useless. Or if a relationship is broken up, I feel ugly, I feel old, I feel no one would ever be interested in me. I've been through that also. Um, first of all, a lot of that is because we take things personally. This is, again, what we spoke about before. Yeah. I, yeah. me. And there really isn't an I, me. These are labels. And we need them. We need a way to communicate. I have to be able to say, I'm really happy to be sharing this experience with you, Pat, and with your listeners. Um, we we do have to have that on, on this relative level. Right. But on an ultimate level, there really isn't, in my view, this this kind of separation that we create. We're well, in this together. We're connected. Exactly. And I want to ask you, Alan, because this is, I think, one of the great misconceptions of forgiveness because at least I, you know, I I have to tell you, I grew up with an incredible birth mother and stepmother. My mom died when I was five. Um, but there's so much I've learned from each of them. I, I learned from my birth mom what you refer to as loving kindness. And I learned so much, you know, so much about uh, forgiveness and life and determination from my stepmom. But one of the things that I that I would love for you to comment on, especially right now, when we're looking at, you know, how to get to that place where we truly can forgive, whether it was for your 501K or your stock option. I actually met a woman today that was part of that, what is it, that Bernie Maddow, the whole, that whole yes. thing. Yes. And, and so let, I wanted to ask you, forgiveness, a lot of times people believe that they're forgiving for the other person, Right. Nine times out of ten, the other person doesn't even know you're forgiving. So Absolutely. what is the true essence of forgiveness? Yeah, first of all, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there's something about holding on to our anger that seems to have a certain satisfaction about it. Uh, there is <laughs> certainly um, a, a shot of adrenaline that comes with this release of draconian fury. Um, and fine, you know, if it's necessary to do that, do it. But given time, when we have a chance to look at this, I, I think it's exactly what you're saying. Forgiveness is not really about the other person. We can say to the other person, assuming the other person is even still in our lives, mm -hmm. I just want you to know I'm... I, I'm finished with that. I'm past that. I, mm -hmm. you know, I I forgive anything that went on. But the the quality of forgiveness and the essence of forgiveness is really for us, because while we hold even the slightest remnants of bitterness, that suffering, that is. Truly, dukkha, this, this mm. Sanskrit and Pali term, um, D-U-K-K-H-A, dukkha, that burns within us. The other person, you know, we say, gee, I want you to know I forgive you, that sometimes they look at us with this look of, what are you talking about? 
I, I didn't do anything that, you know, that needs your forgiveness. They have no idea what they're speaking about. This is, I think, particularly important when we look back at our relationship with a parent. Parents were doing the best that they could. The chances are they were parenting at a young age. Not a whole lot of wisdom, perhaps, had really developed yet. Not a whole lot of life experience. Hopefully they gave as much love as they could. But no matter how we slice it, they really were doing the best that they could. The the anger that we think may be serving us or or the justifying of such and such was absolutely unforgivable is really just hurting us. Mm. We are the one feeling the heat, the the fire, the embers that are smoldering of this bitterness. We're the ones who are suffering. Somehow we have to figure out how to release that, how to relinquish that, how to let it go, how to realize there may be another way to look at this. It's um, This is not easy to do. Yeah, it's not. Uh, but don't you also think, Alan, that you know if we don't figure that out, it, it reminds me of, of, of you know, I, I, boy, I hate to do this, but it reminds me of a neighborhood in New Jersey that I grew up, I, I grew up next to. And, you know, I remember looking at, uh, you know, the, the parcel of land and, you know, that we live close by. And I remember looking at it, and it looked really great. And then I, as I grew up, I noticed that the ground started to turn a little bit green and, you know, later on found out what that was that was seeping through. I mean, I mean, we can pretend to bury some of the anger, some of the hurt, some of the loss. But isn't it true that eventually it finds its way to the surface of our lives in some of the most unexpected times and places? Sometimes it shows up in relationships. I mean, isn't that, so to speak, reason enough to perhaps be determined um, to practice these things you're referring to in the book? Well, I agree with you completely. We have to realize that um, intellect and emotion are not the same. And while we may completely agree and realize um, conditioning is very powerful, habit energy is very powerful, so to break through our conditioning, meaning, in other words, the way we always think, perhaps even the way we were taught to think, and to be able to relinquish, to practice um, what is sometimes called beginner's mind, in a sense, to know nothing, to look at everything with fresh, clear, open eyes, uh, is not that easy to do. It, It really takes practice. Now, that practice is usually motivated by the fact that our suffering just becomes more and more intense. Exactly as you said, it's in there, and it's going to be in there until we do what it is that we have to do to uh, to bring that out. It's, again, it's challenging because we pushed it down for a reason. We pushed it down because it was painful and we didn't want to deal with it. But the reality is just because we pushed it down doesn't mean it went away. It's in there. And to bring it back up so that we can be free of it means we're going to feel it. And that's the part that, again, comes back to determination. Mm -hmm. I think there's an important point here, and that is that whether it be in the process of self-examination or psychotherapy or meditation, nothing is going to come up that is not already in there. We're not going to sit down and start examining and something new and terrible is going to suddenly fly in from the outside. It just doesn't happen that way. Nothing can come up that is not already within us. So if it's coming up, we may not like it, 
but we really do have to acknowledge that it's been in there. When I sit down in meditation, which I've done for many years and is an integral part of my life, it's sometimes shocking when suddenly I'm thinking, where did that come from? I haven't seen that person for 30 years. But there was some little fragment of something that that just wasn't complete. It doesn't mean it was terrible. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means that's what is. You know, it's raining outside. I planned a picnic for today. It doesn't mean somebody's out to get me and wants to spoil my fun. It just means it's raining. When something comes up, it just means it was in there. And now it's presented itself, and we can say, ah, hello. There's this famous line that that the Buddha said when he was, um, just before his time of enlightenment, and he was being assailed by his own self-doubts, which in in the legend is called Mara, M-A-R-A, and as all of these doubts and concerns would arise in his mind, he saw them clearly and he said, I know you, meaning I recognize you. And with that approach, doubts and fears have no power. Doubts and fears are simply feelings. They become powerful when we empower them. This is, again, not the easiest concept, but if I have a certain fear, it doesn't mean I'm a fearful person. It just means that I have this feeling at this moment, but I've had thousands of other feelings go on throughout the day also. Exactly. Now, the fear has power if I cling on to it and begin to write my stories about it. And bring it forth every day. And before you know it, every day turns into a week. And then that week turns to every week, which turns into a month. And those months turns into year. And almost to the point where we can't remember the true nature of who we are and how powerful we are. Alan, thank you so much. We say that that hardens into character. There you go. I could go, I, you and I could spend many more hours. I want, I can't believe the hour is, uh, moved so quickly. Uh, Thank I you agree. so much. We must do this again. I hope you will, I hope you will join me again. And, it would be uh, my pleasure. I want to just tell everybody, we, Alan and I have just talked about just a, a slice of what he talks about in the book Pocket Peace. So for those of you out there, if you want to find out more, go to pocketpeace.com, get a copy of his book. And much more. Alan, thank you so much. Uh, it's You're such welcome. an honor to have you on the show. It's been my pleasure, Pat. Thank you. I want to thank all of you out there. If you've missed any part of this, please make sure you get the archive. Go to the drpatshow.com. And remember, you deserve a slice of heaven in 2011. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time.
Don't snow, don't go on fire 